So should we just launch right in with our standard introductions? Why not? Okay. I'm Ian, and I'm a priest. I'm David, and I'm an organist. And this is All Things Right and Musical. our standard introduction i don't know if you knew that <laughs> yes it is so with all saints day coming up um one of the things we wanted to look at was the renewal of baptismal vows which is something that parishes tend to do um when there's not a baptism on all saints day right right and and other times throughout the year but but uh, obviously with all saints coming up that's where our focus was right yeah, so the other the other sort of baptismal days throughout the year would be Easter, mm-hmm. um, Pentecost, mm-hmm. and the baptism of our Lord. Did I get this uh, right? You did. Nailed it. Good. And I guess, you know, there's a very practical component to this, you know, a, a parish that has two services on a Sunday morning. You might only have a baptism at one. Sure. And then you would, you know, anticipate doing the renewal of vows at the other. Right, right, and uh, you know, depending on the size of the church, some churches have baptisms all for you know every one of those baptismal holidays, but a lot don't. Right, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not a massive church, you may not have four different baptisms a year. Um, so the reality is, almost every church at some point is going to be making use of the renewal of baptismal vows. Right, and unfortunately. For a for a, a a celebration that could be taking could could be taking place in a parish as many as four different times throughout the year or more, we've made it a little bit obscure. We've made it so that you have to cobble it together from different places if you if you want to do it. The you're talking about the renewal of vows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the um, this is the place where you find that instruction is in the prayer book, page three twelve under the additional directions for holy baptism. Uh, It says, if on the four days listed above, and they're the four days we just named, there are no candidates for baptism, the renewal of baptismal vows, page 292, may take the place of the Nicene Creed at the Eucharist. So page 292, if you flip back, that's part of the Easter vigil. Right. So uh, when I said Easter... um, I guess I really meant <laughs> the Easter vigil <laughs> right, uh, right. is the, is the appropriate place for baptism. And I think that kind of is borne out in what you see in most Episcopal churches on Easter Sunday morning. You typically do not see a baptism at those services. Yeah, I think that's true. I, if you're at a parish that doesn't have a vigil or doesn't do baptisms at the vigil, and let's be honest, there are plenty of those. Um, I think the reality is you don't push those baptisms to Easter Sunday morning. You push them to like Easter two or Easter four. Right. And, and we, you know, in this conversation, we should note that the, the prayer book expresses a preference for these days, but certainly right. doesn't limit baptism to these days. Baptism can happen at other times. Yeah. I mean, there are good reasons to, so far as it is possible, not, I don't want to say restrict because that even sounds too limiting, but there are good reasons for having baptisms on those days. The lessons and the, the liturgical celebration itself really lends itself to an understanding of baptism that isn't going to be present if you do it on some other Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. 
and and it does say it does say it is recommended that as yeah. far as possible baptisms be reserved for these occasions or when a bishop is present right right and that's the other that's the other thing is when the bishop comes then obviously you have some people who will want to be baptized by a bishop mm-hmm but but what I really wanted to get at, because this is a this is a reflection that I've had about the way that we refer to the prayer book and uh, an assumption that's made. Um, I believe in every parish that I've served, this has not been done correctly. At least it has not been done correctly most of the time, um, according to according to the letter of the prayer book. So, the renewal of baptismal vows is found um, in its entirety on page 292, sure. which is which is that portion of the Easter Vigil where that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you see if you see page 292, it has that heading, the renewal of baptismal vows. And then the first thing the celebrant says is, do you reaffirm your renunciation of evil? So it has that question to people. This is the part that I came to believe has just been omitted. Um, from most of the renewal of baptismal vows that I've that I've taken part in, mm-hmm. I think what happens is um, the creed, the sort of the, the sort of Apostles' Creed portion of this renewal, mm-hmm. um, is what's seen as the creed replacement. So it just gets plugged in, starting with the next petition: "Do you believe in God the Father?" And then people respond: "I believe in God the Father." Sure, um, and so forth. Right. But it is it is really kind of um, jarring to think that the prayer book does intend for this uh, reaffirmation of the renunciation of evil right. to at least be included and, and responded to by everyone. Right. And these are, you know, if you go to the baptismal covenant, these are the questions that are initially asked of the candidate or those presenting the candidate. The, the three renunciations, sometimes called the three minor exorcisms, and then the three affirmations. Right. Um, <clears throat> and so and it's, are... easy, it's easy to see how this mistake takes place, because, you know, what, if you flip over just a few pages, mm-hmm. page 304, that's the baptismal covenant. Right. So the baptismal covenant is a part of the renewal of baptismal vows, but they're not identical, because there is that initial petition that gets lost if you just, if you just copy and paste in other words, if you just copy and paste the baptismal covenant from your, your baptism service that day, if you have one. Right. And what's more, I mean, and this is this is somewhat confusingly laid out, and, and I, you know, I think that there's justification for it. But if you go even above that heading, the renewal of baptismal vows, the paragraph and then the rubric before it... Um, so when it's introducing the renewal of baptismal vows in the context of the Easter Easter vigil, mm-hmm. it says the celebrant may first address the people in these or similar words, all standing. And it's this, through the Paschal mystery, dear friends, we are buried with Christ by baptism into his death and raised with him to newness of life. I call upon you, therefore, now that our Lenten observance is ended, to renew the solemn promises and vows of holy baptism, etc., etc. Um, that's That is, I think... A very useful introduction, so that you're not you're you're not just asking people, especially because, let's be honest, a lot of our folks in the pews were baptized under the 1928 prayer book, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they didn't have the baptismal covenant that we're using now. Obviously, they've seen it some since then, but it but especially when you're talking about people who didn't grow up with the, with this as the model for baptism, it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of introductory work, I think, um, like we have in the, in the context of the vigil. So I don't think that there's anything amiss 
with actually introducing the renewal of baptismal vows. In most places I've been, people do that, even if it's just a, please join me in renewing our baptismal vows. Right, even if it's yeah. just a single sentence. Exactly. And and that is interesting. So there's so much that's interesting about this. One of the things um, in that rubric that you read ahead of that introduction, it says in these or similar words. Exactly. So it's one of the few places in the prayer book that you're sort of given license to ad lib something. Right. Um, but I'll, I'll say most of the instances in the prayer book where it has something along those lines, it's in this type of context. It's in the context of where we're giving an introduction to what's about to occur. So it takes place at marriage, um, at the common introduction to marriage. I think it says um, the, the celebrant may address the people in these or similar words. I'm going to look that up just so I can okay. tell you exactly. Okay. Well, and that's interesting. So I was, I was looking around um, in connection with the baptismal covenant, and one of the things that came up is the new uh, 2019 prayer book from the Anglican Church in North America. Um, and where the 1979 prayer book is kind of a, it's kind of a hunt and peck, uh, you know, find your own renewal of baptismal vows in the vigil. Um, it appeared that their prayer book had one that was much more clearly laid out and to be used, you know, kind of as a standalone piece that you didn't have to, you didn't have to find from the vigil. And so included in that was this introduction, uh, mm-hmm. verbatim from the 1979 book. But um, they made a very they made a very clear choice to bracket that phrase. Now that our Lenten observance is ended, yeah, which makes a tremendous amount of sense um, yeah. at the Easter Vigil. But this introduction is really cohesive and um, brilliantly written. I think um, for other times in the church year, if you simply omit that phrase, and that's that's something that they made very clear by just placing that phrase in brackets. Yeah. Well, let me let me just add on to that that. Um, Byron Stallman, in his book, uh, Prayer Book Rubrics Expanded, um, I, I think he invites exactly that, that you, that you use this introductory phrase and um, rewrite that clause, now that our Lenten observance has ended, to more aptly address the season or the feast that you're celebrating. Yeah. So you could, you could tailor this introduction, in other words, mm-hmm. to the Feast of All Saints. Right. And, and if, you, if you do that, I would suggest the, the only issue I have with just bracketing the art now that our, our Lenten observance has ended is that this has, I mean, it does have one possible understanding of baptism at the fore, which is baptism into the Paschal mystery, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we also have, as, our, as part of our understanding of baptism, uh, entry into the community, into the body of Christ. We have participation in in Christ's own baptism in the Jordan. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have the different holidays that are appropriate holidays for baptism to be celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. And so you might even want to tailor that first sentence a little bit to not to eliminate the Paschal mystery, because there is something central about that, but to also include the, the feast day that we find ourselves at so that that's echoed even in that first sentence as well. Oh, so not just, not just that phrase, uh, that comes, comes about from the vigil, uh, now that our Lenten observance has ended, right. but you, but you're saying rewrite the head of it to better, yeah. to better place it in the feast. Yeah. So, so just for example, through the Paschal mystery, dear friends, we are buried with Christ by baptism into his death and raised with him to newness of life. Um, through ba- through the waters of baptism, we are we enter into the communion of saints and the body of Christ. Or you know, some I, that's that's 
<laughs> obviously not great, but something along those lines that sort of echoes the specific feast that you're celebrating and says um, baptism has de- baptism has a sense is tied to this this liturgical celebration as well. Right. And I think you know the the these are similar words certainly opens the door to to rewriting all of it or to using to using an alternative. I mean I think Exactly. I think that's very much um part of the intention there. Right. What what's not clear from the 79 prayer book is are you supposed to use that introductory paragraph because it actually <laughs> appears above the heading right. the renewal of baptismal vows. So that's a little bit murky and it's something that the Anglican Church in North America prayer book made clearer just by including right. it under the heading of renewal of baptismal vows. Yeah, and I, I, I again, you're right. It's it's above the heading, but I think it's clear from context that this that really, if you were going back to this, if you were rewriting even the vigil, I would just move the heading up. Exactly. This is clearly part of the renewal of baptismal vows, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. It's an introduction to what you're about to do. So obviously, it should fall under that heading. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just got sort of caught up in the flow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or maybe put the heading in later. I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I'm not sure how it happened. Yeah. yeah. But um, I misspoke earlier and was thinking that the uh, the other place where a lot of latitude is given was from the um, the, the uh, marriage office. Mm-hmm. It's actually from the burial office. Mm. Um, after the opening anthems, it's, there's a rubric on 492 in right to... When all are in place, the celebrant may address the congregation, acknowledging briefly the purpose of the gathering and bidding their prayers for the deceased and the bereaved. So it doesn't even give a sort of sample text and say these are similar words. It just says the celebrant might may address the people on these sort of topics. Right. But so that's another that's one of the other examples I know of where the prayer book gives wide latitude to the celebrant. Um, to sort of modify the text, but but both of those examples are sort of introductory material, mm-hmm. just sort of giving people an idea of what's about to happen. You know, you've hit on something um, that that question on 292, that introductory question, or the first question, do you reaffirm your renunciation of evil and renew your commitment to Jesus Christ, is part of the renewal of baptismal vows. But if you go to the, oh no, you said this, if you go to the baptismal office. No, but yeah, but I think it's worth underscoring for people that um, the renewal of baptismal vows includes the baptismal covenant, but it doesn't start with it. It, 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 it at least, at the very least, it starts with that question, do you reaffirm your in, renunciation of evil? And it could also include um, the printed introduction on 292 with modifications or some other kind of uh, introduction to the renewal of vows that the, that the celebrant writes or ad-libs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, it, it's basically echoing the examination of the candidates that takes place before baptism. So mm-hmm. So we're asking... Do you reaffirm the the sort of things that we asked before you were even baptized? Mm-hmm. So something that's often done in conjunction with um, baptism and the renewal of vows is what's known as the aspergis. 
mm-hmm. or the sprinkling of people with holy water, water from the font. Um, and so this is an interesting practice, and I know that it's not done everywhere. It's probably it's probably kind of best summarized as a more high church practice. Um, that there are some some congregations who may not have experienced it ever, or might have just experienced it for the first time recently. So all, all of that sound fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would. I, the one thing I would take issue with is is categorizing it exclusively as a high church practice, just because I have seen this done in very, in very. I wouldn't say evangelical. See, this is the thing. We, we, the, the lines are blurred and, and different, and, and not everybody's in every sort of context, right? Right. But a lot of congregations that are very sort of liturgically experimental mm-hmm. or who are really interested in leaning sort of forward in our liturgy, so maybe even liturgical innovation, or at, at the very least have fully, fully embraced baptismal identity as the 1979 prayer book imagines it, a lot of those congregations have asperges to, to remind people of their baptismal vows, even if they're, you know, say, using EOW every Sunday, right? So it's not necessarily just a sort of high church or Anglo-Catholic practice, although that, that certainly was true a while back. But I think there's been enough energy around sort of reclaiming the centrality of baptism, mm-hmm. even among people who are who are not liturgically liturgically traditional, that you have some very liturgically non-traditional places that use asperges. Yeah, and there's there's something about the asperges that yeah it it, it is very at home in an Anglo-Catholic rite, mm-hmm. and I think it can be equally at home in um, something that has very few other trappings of. Anglo-Catholicism sure. because right. it is, it is um, experiential and yeah. uh, in some sense it's hard to object to like oh I got I got a little bit wet in church today because someone right. flung some water on me <laughs> 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 I mean okay what's what's the issue right um, yeah it's not like incense where you can you can claim to be allergic I mean I think very right. few very few people can actually claim to be allergic to water well and it's it's one of those cool things right if you especially if you bring your own prayer book and people and and there's asperges that take place in their and their um let's say liberal with the use of water <laughs> you you wind up with those pages for baptism in your prayer book sort of wrinkled and warped mm-hmm. and it's just this it's this really lovely perpetual reminder of what baptism is even in the book itself yeah interesting Sort of like a sort of like Silent Night having a few drips of wax on it. That sure, t- that sure. page in the hymnal, right? Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. It's just this tangible reminder of the reality that's signified by those pages. And it's something. I mean, there's there's all kinds of wonderful uh, videos on YouTube of uh, Eastern Orthodox and how they really get the branches, like big branches, yeah. Yeah. down into the font, and they just make a royal mess over there. Just uh-huh. you know. Uh, flinging the water out of the font and onto the people. Yeah. So, in, in practical terms, um, when when we do this in an Episcopal church, um, let's say that we're at the renewal of of vows rather than at a baptism itself. So, what are the practical ways? Like, how do you get the water? Is it in the font? Do you get it into a bucket? And you know, I think a lot of times you do want to get it into some kind of bucket and walk down the aisle and. Right. And, and asperge the people that way. Right. And, and then what do you use? What do you use to actually um, uh, sprinkle the people? 
Sure, sure. And you can get, there are, you know, metal, I, I think they're called holy water sprinklers. That's what I've, I, there's probably a more technical term for them. Um, Is that aspergillium? Yeah, aspergillium. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, if you, if you see them in catalogs, I think they call them holy water sprinklers. Oh, really? I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'd love to see some holy water sprinklers set up on the lawn. So right. after, after church, the kids could just run through that and, uh-huh, and have, uh-huh. the, have the same experience again. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, or you use branches and if you're going to use branches or, or, you know, some sort of. Um, herb I've seen rosemary used. Okay. Um, then what are you going to, what are you going to pick and why, you know? Yeah. So is there a, is there a case to be made for using asparagus? Possibly. Um, the, I, there's, there's just, there's just something about that word. Aspergillium makes me think of asparagus, which is also a plant, but I don't know that it would really retain a lot of water. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. But I, but I, I, there's, there's a possibility those words are related etymologically. Uh, I, I don't, although, I, I Googled it. I think it's a hard case to make. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I've seen a lot of different things used. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Some people use their hands. Um, that's fine too. If mm-hmm. you cup it, you can really get some... <laughs> really get some volume going. So is this something that you have experience with as a priest? I mean, have you, Oh, sure. You sprinkled people. So what, what do you do? I, I had at my last parish, we had a, a holy water sprinkler aspergillium that okay. I used. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would, I think I would either use my hand or some herbs of some sort mm-hmm. or branches. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There are probably, at least two or diff- two or three different streams of the tradition that say this is what you're supposed to use and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to claim to know what those are. Maybe our listeners have very strong feelings about this. Um, in in which case, I would love to hear the case be made because um, because I I don't know what they are. <laughs> well, and the, the, there's another interesting part of the tradition, um, especially as it relates to the Easter Vigil. Uh, mm-hmm which is the the music that's sung during the sprinkling of the people because there there are two traditional um anthems for that okay one is aspergis may thou shalt sprinkle me with hyssop and i shall be cleansed thou shalt wash me and i shall be made whiter than snow so and incidentally you've just reminded me that hyssop is one of those that um some people will make the argument for using to sprinkle people. Oh, and and surely because of the because of the texture sure. of the antiphon, right? Yep, yep. Um but then at Eastertide, uh that anthem at the sprinkling is is replaced with um the vidi aquam. Right. Um I saw water flowing from the right side of the temple and it's mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful anthem full of alleluias. Um, what, what's really interesting about the, the way that the Easter vigil in the 1979 prayer book, um, gives permission for baptism. One of the ways that you can do baptism is in the dark, which is, you know, pretty compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but one of the issues that that's, that's, that's caused by that is, is if you have, a um, a, a, a sprinkling of the people, then you kind of don't want to sing the Easter tide antiphon because it's got alleluias and you haven't you haven't really introduced the alleluia 
at the vigil yet. Like you're, you're actually moments away from doing so. (laughs) I mean, I suppose you could, it's just, it's just nice. I've always found it nice to reserve that first alleluia to the celebrant, Mm -hmm. Uh, the alleluia Christ has risen on page 294. So that's not a problem that you have. If you, if you do the baptisms at the, at the other part of the service, sort of after the, after the, um, yeah, after the gospel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So then you could sing the VDI, the VD aquam, at the sprinkling with no with no problems at all, yeah. Uh, so it's just it's just kind of a funny thing that uh, uh, you know that you only have you only have so many days to sing the Vidi Aquam mm-hmm. uh, at the sprinkling and and you sort of miss it by a few minutes, uh, <laughs> d- depending on how you do the Easter vigil. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> And so we should be clear that, like, we're talking about something now that doesn't is is not referenced in the prayer book. The the sprinkling of the people. There's no there's no reference to this in the prayer book at all. Is that right? Uh, good question. I'll have to. I'd have to double check. I don't. I don't think there are. I, mean, I, think I don't it, think the so only either. Places I've seen this in print is kind of in the um, in the explanatory guides for for priests about you know how you conduct liturgy, like that book by. Byron Stallman, um, and so, and that's where I want to go next because Stallman actually uh, proposed um, an addition to the renewal of baptismal vows that I've mm-hmm. n- I've never encountered before. Yeah, and I thought would be really interesting in the context in that context. So what he proposed was actually um, using a portion of the consecration of a church, uh, and the specifically the part of the consecration of the church that involved the font. And and there's a you pointed out that there's a very specific reason that he does this. Yeah. So if you if you go to the section he points to, if you look at um, if you're looking at the dedication and consecration of a church, um, the portion in question, really the the they move to the font. At, on page 569, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The bishop does, because this, all, all of this, you know, the blessing of the altar and the blessing of the font is reserved to the bishop. Right. Um, and at, at that part, this is the bishop laying a hand on the font and actually saying, we dedicate this font in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it's, that's the dedication. That's the, that's the, that is from the consecration, right? Mm-hmm. And this is part of the consecration of the church. So I don't think that's the part he's referring to. No. I think he's referring to the part that starts on 570, um, where it says, if no baptism is to take place, water may be poured into the font and the bishop says the lord be with you and also with you and what this this pattern on page 570 until you get to the amen at the end of you know the four paragraph long prayer is essentially the thanksgiving over the water from the baptismal rite minus the epiclesis minus that moment where the priest calls down the holy spirit and actually touches the water in order to consecrate it for the use in in that sacrament so in this liturgy uh, uh on page 570 
it, it resembles the Thanksgiving over the water from baptism, but with that critical difference that the priest does not touch the water mm-hmm. and he does not set the water apart for baptism. Exactly. And so it does a really good job that Thanksgiving over the water is the prayer that most beautifully and most aptly summarizes what we are saying takes place at baptism or and and what we say these waters that we're entering into at baptism are yeah these and these, and that's that's what i really liked about this proposal these these words are very familiar yeah. from baptisms and so why not uh involve them uh in the renewal of baptismal vows liturgy yeah um the gift of water over over it over water the holy spirit moved in the beginning of creation through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. I mean, all of these things, I think, are wonderful to recall in connection with our with our baptismal vows. Right, because this is what baptism is, right? So these are, the waters that we pour into the font are, in some sense, the waters of creation, and we descend into them, and we are made anew in them. They are, in some sense, the waters of the Red Sea that we part and walk through on dry land, out of slavery to sin, into freedom in Christ. They are, in some sense, the waters of the Jordan River, where we enter with Christ into his own baptism, we see the Holy Spirit descending upon us, and we hear the voice of God booming from heaven. You are my child, my beloved. In you I am well pleased. These are all things that, that baptism is, and these are all things that the waters of baptism are. And so to have that actually echoed in our prayer language so that when we do the renewal of baptismal vows, it doesn't just feel like we're signing a contract with God, but we're echoing all those images that are meant to fuel our holy imagination around baptism and our baptismal identity, I think it makes for a much richer experience. Yeah. Word. Oh, preach, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get excited about baptism. I'm, I'm sorry. No, that was you, you a little should. bit of a sermon. No, I loved it. I loved it. No, you should. Well, and you used the word exper- experimental earlier mm-hmm. um, when, when you were talking about liturgy and, and people doing the Asperges. Right. I wonder if um, the word experiential might be better. That Well, and, and I was talking about parishes that might be more willing to experiment and do things differently. But you're right. It, there is a, it, it is an experiential type of liturgy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, if, if I were consecrating a church— and I turn to this page, and the bishop is going to, and I, and I was the bishop, which you know I'm not. And, and the bishop was Yet. going. <laughs> oh, just yeah, just you wait, Org- organist <laughs> bishop. That's going to be a shock for people. Um, when when the bishop uh, prays this prayer, uh, you know how how could a bishop nowadays sort of not want to do um, the Asperges at the end of that? I mean, I think more often than not, at the consecration of a church, the bishop would want to have. Um, some kind of aspergillium, and then take a moment during this during this liturgy to sprinkle the people with uh, water from the font. That just seems like a very natural thing, right? That would happen in in sort of our current liturgical milieu. Yeah, and and um, so I'll be honest. The the one of the places that this was most movingly done that I've been a part of was at the ordination of. Michael Curry as presiding bishop of mm. the Episcopal Church, and they had uh, they had the Asperges, and if if I'm not mistaken, it may have been Wade in the Water was a part of that liturgy, and I think it might have been at the Asperges. Okay, um, but um, 
but it was very it was it was a it was an experience um it was very much meant to evoke something and i think it succeeded wonderfully yeah so was this was that liturgy um something that involved this prayer over the water because i uh, this this is not something that i've ever seen done but i i was really taken with the with the um possibility of doing it so there's a there's a question here right yeah regarding bishop curry's installation um it was and it was his installation not his ordination i suppose mm-hmm. um because he was already a bishop you don't get ordained a presiding bishop right 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 um so that's my mistake but they made a choice to use the actual thanksgiving over the water rather than this portion from um from the consecration of a church that is essentially the thanksgiving over the water minus the consecration I, mm-hmm. I, far be it from me to second guess anyone. Um, I don't mean to, s- especially, especially two presiding exactly. bishops of the Episcopal exactly. Church. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean <laughs> to start a controversy, but there is an argument to be made that if you, if you actually consecrate the water, you are, you are preparing for baptism, Right. Yeah, because that's that's what the prayer says, doesn't it? Sanctif- in, in, in the in the rite of holy baptism, sanctify this water by the power of your mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Yeah. So there is a there is a liturgical argument to be made that the practice like this that includes the actual thanksgiving over the water plus asperges, is is a little close liturgically that a little closer liturgically than some liturgists would be comfortable to rebaptizing people. Um, and so this is why I like Stuhlmann's suggestion of using a very, very similar prayer minus the epiclesis minus the moment of consecration from the, um, from the consecration of a church service because it evokes all of the same imagery, but doesn't actually consecrate the water. Using consecrated water for asperges, especially if there hasn't already been a baptism in it, is a is a little bit like it's a little bit like consecrating the food at coffee hour. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that analogy. No, no, I, I mean this this is a fruitful discussion, and so I'm looking again at the at the consecration of the church stuff. So I understand like the word consecrate the water and and that you're consecrating it for a purpose um but the idea with asperges is that you are supposed to be using holy water so does the water not need to be blessed it it does need to be blessed it does not so there's a difference between blessing and consecration right so it Mm -hmm. yeah can you say what can you say what that is for um an organized (laughs) student bishop so i mean blessing is um, it's, it's one of those really complicated words that there's a lot of different ways. So blessing could be bestowing some sense of blessing. You can make that argument. You can make the argument that is, it is a recognition of the goodness that is already inherent in something, right? So mm-hmm. either way you mm-hmm. want to think of it, blessing is, is a, a sort of affirmation that this is good and, and is, is is potentially um, an instrument of grace in some sense, right? Consecration is a setting aside for God's purposes. 
So when we consecrate things, we consecrate them to know this is for a specific and holy use, and that's all that it's for. So consecration has a specific purpose in mind. We don't consecrate things just by blessing them. We don't, on, on um, St. Francis Day, we don't have a consecration of the animals, right? We have a blessing mm -hmm. of the animals. Okay. But we consecrate okay. the elements at the Eucharist because we are saying, we are asking the Holy Spirit to come and, and inhabit these elements in a special way that they may be instruments of grace in this specific manner. And once those elements receive that consecrated mm -hmm. status, they, they need to be treated in a certain way. I mean, it's not like, okay, we're done with that. We can just toss it into the garbage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I guess the same would be true then of, of holy water and the font, that once we, once we consecrate the water for baptism, that something would need to be done with it afterward. Right. It shouldn't just sit there. Right. Okay. All right. Well, here's my question about the consecration of the church mm -hmm. font liturgy. Because there's no baptism to take place, I don't think they say anything about the water. It's actually, this prayer is actually more mm -hmm. about the font, I think. Grant by the power of your Holy Spirit that those who hear are cleansed from sin. I think that's right. a reference to the font. So so is Stallman's invitation, I'm kind of second guessing this now, is Stallman's invitation to use this prayer before the Asperges even enough to bless the water? Like, does the water actually get blessed in this uh, in this form? Yeah, I, it's a it's a uh, it's a fair question, um, <laughs> but I because I I kind of understand I kind of understand now why um, at Bishop Curry's installation liturgy they made that choice to go ahead and and they said sanctify the sanctify this water um, because because otherwise there is no there is no blessing inherent that I can see on page five seventy right right. There's there's thanks given for the water for the gift of water, so I, I so I guess the question we're kind of asking then I'll ask the question as an organist, um, did bishops Sh Shorey and Curry sort of rebaptize <laughs> rebaptize certain members of um, the congregation at the National Cathedral when they sprinkled them with sanctified water? I mean, did, I, so on the one hand the answer the answer is obviously no and but but there are liturgists who i think this is a little closer than you want to come to that right uh-huh uh-huh um, that you don't want to so, consecrate the water that you're using for a spurging for a spurges. and and this is another this is another question i know that i asked you when we set up this conversation if you have a baptism and you want to asperge the people should you be using the same baptismal water or should you be using different water to asperge them? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, I, I, I think ideally you would be using blessed water and not consecrated water, but I also, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, this is, this is kind of a whole, a whole sticky wicket. Yeah. Cause one of the things that really drew me to this prayer on 570 was the idea of, um, um, sort of blessing the water right in front of people rather than back in the sacristy before the service or just sort of doing it silently right. before the Asperges. And, and now I'm kind of second guessing that because I'm not sure that this prayer actually does that. Well, what, so, okay, here's a third mm -hmm. question. Let, let's, let's just for the moment assume that this prayer doesn't actually bless the water um, in the font. Is it, is it wrong to asperge the people with unblessed water? 
Is it wrong to know? Not really. But but the tradition would suggest that some some kind of blessing has been performed over yes. the water. But typically not publicly, I don't think. Or either not publicly, or it's the same sanctified water that's in the font from a baptism. Yeah, so, so most of the time, the water that's in the font and that's used for Spurges is what's known as lustral water. Ooh, I like that word. Um, it, which is which? Why why did we why did we wait so far into the podcast to use the phrase <laughs> lustral water? Ian, I'm I'm holding you responsible. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I should I should have led with that. I buried the lead. Huh? Is that is that what you're supposed to do with uh, with uh, with sanctified water? You're supposed to bury it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can you can pour it down the piscina or or into the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so say more about lustral water. Sorry, it's an amazing, an so, amazing. So I mean, lustral water is the is the 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 technical term for it, um, but it's but it's it's not just water that's left over from the last baptism. It is in fact water that's been blessed but not consecrated, and mm-hmm. so most of the time, when you're when you're when you walk in and there's water in the holy water font or you know wherever. Um, or you're, you're asperged during a renewal of baptismal vows. It's what's known as lustral water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I like it. That's all I got. And, and since we're since we're just talking, we're just throwing water everywhere today on the podcast. <laughs> we're asperging our listeners. <laughs> we should talk about um, those parishes that have a stoop um, or stoops near the near the doors of the okay. church. Um, so these are these are little tiny bowls. Oh right, right, right. Uh, kind of, am I saying that right? Stoop. I don't know. S T O U P. Yes. So I'll tell you how I got here. I googled I googled lustral uh-huh. water, and what what came up was holy water from the Episcopal Church online glossary. Yeah. Nice. That those would be filled. Those would be filled with lustral water, like you're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, those would be uh, filled with holy Correct. water, but not not sanctified or leftover baptism. Right. Water. And and there are some Episcopal churches that have those. In a lot of Episcopal churches, what what fills that role in the day-to-day is the baptismal font itself. Mm-hmm. That it's filled with water and, and it's right there sort of as people are walking in. And so you don't have one, a little tiny one hanging on the wall that people can just dip their fingers in. They do that with the actual font, the baptismal font as they walk past it. So I never in my life have I seen a stoop filled or even a baptismal font um, that you might find at the entrance of a church or the crossing really? of a church um, filled uh, for this purpose. So let's say that you're the priest and you're doing this before masses on, on Sunday. Um, how do you do it? Do you just, you just fill things with a little pitcher and then do you just wave your hand over it in the sign of a cross or do you do something more than that? So there, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I mean, again, talk about things that are not. So this is something I haven't dealt with in a couple of years because we haven't been filling our fonts since the pandemic. And it's one of those rites that is 
I, th- I would argue needlessly obscure to begin with. <laughs> um, and I, and I can't off the top of my head, remember exactly where it's found, but I know oh, wow. okay. it's not, it's, it's, it's not easy to find. Interesting. I remember the first time I went looking for it, I had to, I, I, it took me forever and I, I can't for the life of me remember exactly where it was. Interesting. But but probably not published in any Episcopal resources. I don't. Presently. I don't believe so. Hmm. Interesting. Can I just can I just have one more kind of disturbing closing? Please thought? do. Okay. The idea of using leftover baptismal water is kind of gross if you think about like the the precedent of immersion baptism. Right. Yeah. Somebody's like enough, enough people, bath water. Yeah, enough people have been in there. They're right. It's essentially bath water at the end of the day, especially if you had a whole, oh. a whole group of people come. So through. maybe it, I, it, there, so there is a, um, concerning the blessing of water. There is a page in the book of occasional services. I think this might be new to the 2018. I don't think this was in the earlier one, but maybe it is. And I, I just am ridiculous. What page are you? It on? is page 192 concerning the blessing of water. And there is a right for that, um, for, uh, for the blessing of lustral water that once again echoes the thanksgiving over the water. Right. So that phrase, now bless this water, we pray yep. you, that it may be a sign to us of our baptism yep. in the name of the Father and of the Son. So it's almost like we're adding on to what Stolman wrote on that in his book, uh, Prayer Book Rubrics Expanded. If you are going to use that form um, from the consecration of a church, which seems lovely because, you know, it, it echoes the, the, thing, the, the Thanksgiving, well, yeah, all that stuff that we liked about it. Um, but you almost need to add this, this other phrase to actually get the water blessed. Sure. And you could use this in, in place of that section if you really wanted to from the consecration of the church, because what it leaves off is therefore in joyful obedience to your son, we bring into his fellowship, those who come to him in faith, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. That's really, that, that That's re- really related to the font itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then again, grant by the power of your Holy spirit, that those who here are cleansed from sin and born again, may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our savior. It's, it's more referring to the font itself. I think that mm-hmm. it, it, you could argue that it's, it's referring to the baptismal waters also. But yeah, I mean, this, this one in the Book of Occasional Services almost makes more sense, right? I like it. Yeah, it's not in the... Okay, it's not in two So good, good on them. This is, this is a, a, a revision that escaped my notice in the 2018 book of occasional services, but they actually put this blessing of lustral water into the BOS. And that is a well needed change because it was very obscure. You did have to either track it down somewhere else or cobble together your own. And this is a much better sort of concise based on the Thanksgiving over the water, but is blessing rather than consecrating does do a really good job of just putting it in one place so you can find it. Absolutely. Good on them. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay. So the question is what, what, what are, exactly? Yeah. What are we actually proposing? Cause I, <laughs> my, my idea about how this could work um, has now changed since we've recorded today. 
Yeah, and mine too, especially especially as a result of the work that was done at the last general convention for putting that right in, or or that prayer, I guess I should say, um, for the blessing of the water in the book of occasional services, because it does echo all those images of the Thanksgiving over the water, just like Stolman's suggestion from um, the consecration of a church, right but also has an explicit blessing that is more than that right, but less than the consecration that takes place at an actual baptism. Right. So I think it's the, that's the perfect prayer to put in following, following the renewal of baptismal vows right after you pour water into the font and before you, you, you do the aspergias. Exactly. So, so in order, here's here's kind of the all things right musical proposal. Sure. For um, renewal of baptism, and it's kind mm-hmm. of a it's kind of a treasure hunt, as it turns out. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, so after the sermon, right? Is that right? So, your Holy Eucharist right to start. Uh, if you don't have a baptism, we believe that the service typically begins Holy Eucharist right to in the usual way, mm-hmm. and then after the sermon, you want to go to page two ninety two. And use the introduction that's given there through the Paschal Mystery. Slightly modified. Or, yeah, and modify it slightly for what, whichever, uh, whichever feast day you're, you're celebrating mm-hmm. um, baptism on, or right. what, whatever Sunday you're celebrating baptism on. Or uh, write your own, or give your own. Sure. Also an option. And then do the renewal of baptismal vows, um, starting with that question on 292. Do you reaffirm? Right. And then the celebrant concludes the renewal of vows on page 294. Yep. And then, this is where you would potentially go into the blessing of water and the um, sprinkling of the people. So would it still be safe to go to page 570 and start with that rubric to pour water into the font and do the Lord be with you and also with you? Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. So... I, I think... Uh, maybe. Is it wrong to? It's certainly not wrong to. So you, um, you, could, that... you could use that exchange at the head of then going to page 192 of the Book of Occasional Services for Concerning the Blessing of Water. You could. It's it. It does potentially confuse the issue for a lot of people um, because that exchange is associated with the start of Eucharist, right? Even though it's it's modified slightly, it doesn't have the actual sursum corda, right? It right. doesn't have mm-hmm. lift up your hearts, right? Um, and we we ha- there is precedent for using it without the lift up your hearts at other parts of the service. I think for Palm Sunday we do that. Is that right? Hmm. At the blessing of the palms. <clears throat> could be. Could be. Uh, but anyway, you certainly could use that acclamation. You could also make an argument that it that it muddies the waters, so to speak. <laughs> um, and so do without. I don't. I don't have strong thoughts either way. Well, I guess w- w- what we settled on is uh, whether or not you do that that exchange at the top. Mm-hmm. That the page five seventy is actually more concerned with the font than it is with the water. Right. And so, by using the the contents of Book of Occasional Services twenty eighteen mm-hmm. on page 
192 concerning yep. the blessing of the water. That makes it clear that it's about the water. And furthermore, you actually bless the water, but you don't sanctify it for right. baptism. Exactly. So that seems to be the winning ticket. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the one. And then if, if our listeners clamor for it, would you um, write four appropriate, or I guess three appropriate um, introductions to renewal of vows for each of the seasons? I think they will, Ian. I think they're going to clamor loudly. If, 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 if anyone asks us for that, I would be happy to do it. Good. So listeners, you heard it here first. Uh, your, your offer for uh, those introductions is uh, on the table. And maybe I, this, this is admittedly confusing. So I think, I think we will put forth um, the podcast recommended form for um, blessing of the water and sprinkling of the people yeah. um, in, in print, just so you can see uh, how it, how it reads together and, yeah. w- and what the sources are. I think that this it's, is worth, this is worth putting down in writing. That would be a handy resource I think to have, because we're talking about three different resources, the book of common prayer, the book of occasional services, 2018 and, um, well, no, I'm sorry. Two parts of the Book of Common Prayer, Holy Eucharist and the Renewal of Vows mm-hmm. from, the, from the Easter Vigil and that prayer from the Book of Occasional Services. Exactly. Cleaner. Yeah, but I, no, you're right that the, the, I think the Episcopal Church has come a long way just by this single page that appears in Book of Occasional Services, sort of putting this in print. And um, even though uh, I'm not sure that this was intended to be part of a public liturgy, I think it can easily become one. Sure. Um, in, in well, yeah, exactly. And you alluded to that earlier, that that part of the problem with private prayers is you're not lifting up the... the if praying shapes believing, yes. then no one has any idea what we believe about lustral water because we never pray over it publicly. Yeah. Um, and the same... We run into the same problem with chrism if all of your chrism comes from a diocesan chrism mass and you don't have the bishop consecrate chrism when he's in the congregation or she's in the congregation. Um, so because typically what happens is, is you um, sort of receive as a, as a clergy person in the diocese, you receive your oil of chrism at a chrism mass or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, a lot do it that way. And then some congregations will have the Bishop whenever she or he is there in the congregation consecrate chrism publicly so that you have it you have that prayer language as part of the common life. But even if that's the case, it's once a year, maybe less, that you're actually having the bishop pray over it in in the people's hearing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's a side issue. But especially with lustral water, if we don't pray over it publicly, then people never know. And they think, maybe that's just water. Maybe that's leftover baptismal water. Unless you're on the altar guild, then yeah. you don't really have an idea of what goes into it. Right. And so what kind of water is that? What do we believe it is? Mm-hmm. Good point. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. If you've enjoyed this episode about all things baptism and renewal of baptismal vows, we hope you will tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's spelled R-I-T-E and musical.org. Find us on Facebook, where you can interact with your hosts and with other podcast listeners. A special thanks to our generous patrons who support this show on Patreon. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.
I want to suggest one other thing, and this is, um, I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. If I have, I apologize. But um, this is one of the bones I have to, one of the nits I have to pick with the hymnal 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another hymn that I really love in a baptismal context, not necessarily at the Aspergis, although you could use it there if you want something that people might be more familiar with. Um, although it's sort of an off the beaten path hymn, so maybe it wouldn't work there anyway. But anyway, um, the hymn is number 359, which is actually the one hymn in the hymnal that is marked as an ordination hymn. Mm-hmm. And it is a terrible ordination hymn <laughs> um, because the identity that it lays out is 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 our baptismal identity not the, the not the identity that that we are are not not in any sense what we're arguing takes place at ordination at least post 1979 right interesting so it has the three middle verses talking about anointing so it's God of the prophets bless the prophets heirs well who are the prophets heirs and then the first, the, the middle three verses are um, anoint them prophets, anoint them priests, anoint them kings, right? Mm-hmm. And prophets, mm-hmm. priests, and kings, uh, you know, obviously there's an issue here with the gendered language if, if, you, if that's um, of a concern. But prophets, priests, and kings, or prophets, priests, and rulers is our baptismal identity. It's not at our ordained identity, right, for those of us who are clergy. So this actually makes a very good baptismal hymn because it reminds us of who we are by virtue of our baptism. That's interesting. Yeah, I I never would have considered that at a baptism. Um, The final stanza wraps it up pretty nicely. Make them apostles, heralds of thy cross. Forth may they go to tell all realms thy grace. Inspired of thee, may they count all but loss and stand at last with joy before thy face. Right. Yeah, you're right. That, that There's nothing, there's nothing um, especially ordination about that. That, it, that is kind of the larger, the larger baptismal context of all, of all Christians, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, certainly post-1979, this is, the, this, is, this is what we're arguing baptism makes us, is, mm-hmm. is this type of person um, in mm-hmm. Christ. And so... Using, I, I really like to use this hymn in a baptismal context because it actually brilliantly summarizes some of the themes of baptism. And a lot of the other baptismal hymns are good, but, but sort of um, basic or abstract or calling down the Holy Spirit. And those are lovely, important things. But this is a hymn that sort of tells you what our charge is as, bapti- as the baptized. Like this mm-hmm. is who we're this is who we're now called to be is this right interesting <laughs>